I'll give peace. That's how we Scots ask for a bit of quiet. But peace is an elusive thing. It's a slippery idea. So when Jesus says that he is giving his followers peace and not in the way that the world gives, that's got to be worth paying attention to. Welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. I'm Stuart and I get to be the minister here. Today I'm joined in leading worship by Catherine and Lewis Epps. Catherine will lead our prayers later. But for now, let's listen as Lewis reads from the Bible for us. Today's reading is from John chapter 14, verse 23 to 29. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. It's almost the end. They're all together, and the death of the person that they all love is fast approaching. They're filled with fear and anger, denial, bargaining, and and finally, finally acceptance. An acceptance that comes with a deep sense of gratitude and peace and love. The TV drama This Is Us has for six seasons followed the lives of the Pearson family through tragedy and triumph, trauma and transformation. Rebecca and Jack's story is a romance for the ages. They end up with triplets, but not the ones they expected. Kate, Kevin and Randall. We follow them through their lives from the beginning, and sometimes before, through the birth of the children, through childhood, teenage years to young adulthood and middle age, flitting between key scenes that show us where their lives have been formed and affected by moments, by words and by chance encounters. From the very beginning, we know that some kind of tragedy has occurred. Jack, their father, and their hero isn't there. They all live in the shadow of his loss and in the light of what he left behind. The Pearsons, like so many of us, are played by guilt, driven by a need to please, unsure of who they are, who they should be, and full of worry about how they form and maintain their own relationships, how they will parent their own children, and how they will live up to their idealised version of their parents. But the end is coming. This is the final season. Rebecca is now close to death and the family gathers to say their goodbyes to the woman who has been at the centre of their lives, the anchor in all of their storms. It's beautiful and it's utterly heartbreaking. Shows like This Is Us connect so well with us because they are us. Kevin, Kate and Randall are warm and engaging and annoying. They're confident and at the same time a complete mess. Their lives are our lives. That's what good drama does. It allows us to see ourselves reflected in the story. It helps us to discover more about what it means to be a human being by seeing our own lives reflected in the experience of others. Today, in our Bible passage, we're thrust back into a drama that we've been living with for a few weeks now. We're in that same upper room with Jesus and his disciples. It's still Thursday. 
It's the immediate aftermath of the Passover meal. Feet have been washed. Bread and wine have been shared. And betrayal has found a face and a voice. Judas Iscariot has just left, sent on his way to betray Jesus and to set in motion the train of events that will lead to the cross. Peter's triplet of denials has just been foretold. The rock, the one who was supposed to be their leader, he'll crumble just like the rest of them. And the disciples are afraid and confused. How could this all be happening? Their worlds are slowly collapsing. All that they'd hoped for is sliding out of view, slipping slowly into the yawning darkness. And their anxiety, Jesus speaks a word. Shalom. Peace. At least that's the closest word we have for what shalom really means. I wonder what images fill our minds when we talk about peace. An absence of conflict, perhaps? A sense of calm? Quiet? Or stillness? If you look up peace in the Oxford Online Dictionary, it tells you that peace means freedom from disturbance or tranquility. Interestingly, the wee sentence that they give you to show you how to use that word is, he just wanted to drink a few beers in peace. I know obviously that none of you will relate to that. I spent most of Saturday at the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, so I would readily admit that that's exactly the kind of peace that I could do with this evening. Peace can also mean a state or period in which there is no war, or when a war has ended. These are both fine. They're good definitions of what peace are. But, but there are problems with how we view and understand and make peace. You see, you could argue that Pilate thought by sentencing Jesus to death that he was actually keeping the peace. His decision would please the religious leaders, it would warn others off, people who thought they could challenge the rule of Rome. The peace would be kept. The religious leaders thought too that they were keeping the peace. They were the priests. They had been chosen and set apart by God to be the ones who told the people what God wanted and also told God what the people were concerned about. Jesus was disturbing that peace. Getting rid of him, that would restore the peace. And even Judas, it could be argued, thought he was doing the right thing. Handing Jesus over would have one of two possible outcomes. Either he would prove he was the Son of God and vanquish all the opposition, or he would be found out as a fraud. Either way, peace would be the outcome. Peace then, as we tend to understand it, is mostly about the absence of disturbance. I could enjoy my beer in peace if I locked myself in the house. All hell could be breaking loose outside, but if I stuck on my fancy noise-cancelling headphones, closed the blinds and turned off my phone, I, I could be at peace. But my peace would be at best temporary. And the peace would only be mine. And maybe Avril's too, because, well, I'd be out of her hair for a while. And that's where perhaps our peace falls down. Frequently, our idea of peace is simply the absence of visible conflict. We talk about peace even when we know that problems still fester and grievances go unheard and unsolved. People can be upset and angry, but just because there are no visible signs of conflict, we imagine that there's peace. Shalom is a word with a much bigger meaning. It means peace in the ways defined before, but 
but also much more than that, much, much more. Shalom means wholeness and well-being. The kind of wholeness and well-being that can only exist when a community lives in a way that promotes that wholeness and well-being for, for everyone. Shalom is about balance, good relationships with each other, with the earth and with God. Shalom isn't about blocking out the world or running away from it. Shalom is about transforming the world so that we all have peace. It seems such a strange thing for Jesus to speak that word in this place and at this time. How could he? It's just so far from what everyone was feeling and there would be less and less shalom, less peace as the night and the next day unfolded. But Jesus is setting an idea in their hearts and their minds. Shalom is possible even in the midst of all of this because it's a gift. A gift given by Jesus. Shalom is possible because of the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit that's been given to them and to us to bring that shalom into our hearts. Paul writes in one of his letters about the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. And I think maybe we think that means that this kind of peace is unattainable, that we could never have it, never have that shalom. I don't think that's what Paul means at all. For one thing, why would Jesus promise his friends something that they can't ever really have? I think Paul recognises that the peace that Jesus talks about is so far from our human experience and understanding of what peace is and how we can make it that it just boggles our mind. We just can't get our heads around the vastness of it and, and just how inclusive it is. We talk often about lines and boundaries, people who are in and those who are out those who are our responsibility and those who are outside of that. The reality of shalom is that it challenges all of those lines and boundaries because we can never fully be at peace. Shalom can't fully exist when we know that others are not at peace. The lack of peace should disturb us. It should disturb us so much that we want to make sure that whatever causes their lack of peace is addressed so that they too can have peace. But at the same time, while we're challenged to extend God's peace to all, we're also promised that when hard times come, we will find peace in the presence of Jesus. The next time Jesus will say this word is when he appears to the disciples after the resurrection, when they're all locked away in the same room, scared and confused again, hiding from the world. It's into this fear and grief that Jesus speaks, Shalom, peace, do not be afraid. Fear is so often the root of our lack of peace. We hit out, or we retreat when we're afraid. We worry and we blame. The peace we have is so often provisional, it could be shattered at any moment. But if God is with us always, then what is there to fear? If there really is a place for all of us to abide in God forever, why would we ever be afraid? I think it's when we grasp that promise the reality of that peace, the peace that Jesus promises to all of us, can really take hold. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Thank you.
Let us pray. O God of peace, we pray for peace. Peace to the cantankerous, the contemptuous, the combative, the kith and kin at war. Peace to the worried, the wary, the weary, the wanderers looking for home. Peace to the bitter, the bruised, the battered, the broken-hearted, grieving loss. Peace to the sad, the saints, the sinners, the somewhere in-betweens. Peace to us all, we pray, O God of peace, for this we pray in the words you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Go in peace. Peace that's noisy, peace that's filled with play, peace that's filled with community, peace that's filled with games and singing and laughter, peace that includes everyone, peace that is safe and shared, peace that's home to love. May the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in the love of God, today and always. Food Bank Collection is open every Sunday from 1pm till 2.30pm at St Ninian's Church. Your donations are very much appreciated and if you need food then please do come down between 1 and 2.30pm every Sunday and collect what you need. Delighted to say that our coffee mornings will be restarting on Tuesday the 3rd of May at 10am until 11.30am and then every Tuesday thereafter for a while at least until the end of June. So that's Tuesdays for our coffee morning from 10am till 11.30am and it's £2.50.